0: Hi, everyone, I hope you are having a fabulous Monday and that your week is off to a truly incredible start. Today, I am so excited to share another conversation with my good friend, Anne Molesky. Anne, as you know, knows a lot about a lot of things, (laughs) but one of the things she is just incredibly skilled at and incredibly skilled at thinking about is early childhood learning and how students work with music in these very early years including what we'll talk about today which is kindergarten kindergarten is a very unique grade in comparison to the other grades that we teach, you know, in a typical K-5 music setting. And sometimes to a lot of us, it can feel kind of squirrely and we're not really sure how to, uh, frankly, how to get them to do anything, (laughs) Um, how to line up, how to sit down, how to listen, how to sing. There are a lot of things that we need to think through, especially in the first weeks of kindergarten. And because Anne is the queen of kindergarten, I was very excited to sit down with her and kind of pick her brain all about teaching music to kindergarten in the first weeks of school. So let's jump in to my conversation with Anne Molesky. My name is Victoria Bowler, and this is episode 25 of Elemental Conversations. Anne, let's talk about kindergarten.
1: Let's talk about kindergarten. How do you feel about kindergarten? I'm going to put you on the spot right away (laughs) because you
0: always get me. (laughs) This is a very personal question. I'm sorry. How do I feel about kindergarten? kindergarten? Well, you are the kindergarten person much more than me, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you about this, because you are like the queen of kindergarten in a big way, like this early learning, um, like early childhood thing. It is your thing in a way that it is not necessarily my thing. So like if you were to say, if you were to say that I could pick, let's divide uh, elementary into like three tiers. Let's say like K1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I want to be with 2, 3 all day long, all day long, really two to fourth grade, those I feel like I really connect with those people. So kindergarten is a lot of fun as long as it can stay a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a very like, not (laughs) not answered my question, but I love it. No, No, that, that totally makes sense. So for me, I haven't heard, I haven't thought about it divided into those three sections before um i usually always think like k12 and then three four five because honestly victoria i think third grade and kindergarten are tied for me i think first grade's in there too i think it's like a three-way tie so that's not really choosing a favorite but i just love those three grades so much and you know it's funny you say that i'm the kindergarten queen um i think that um i got to know and love it in a very intimate way <laughs> because one of my teaching assignments here in Washington state, my first job when we moved here was going between many campuses, one of which was Mm. the district kindergarten center. And so what happened was the schools got so big, like bigger than they could build new schools. And so instead of, you know, having, having displaced like oddly, I don't know how to even describe it. They just decided to put all the kindergarten students in like these four elementary school areas into one kindergarten center. And so I had, (laughs) it was the most magical place. I had how many sections of kindergarten that year? Do I want to say eight?
0: No. Maybe more than,
1: it might've been 10. I want to say it was 10. I think I had 10 sections of kindergarten and I saw them twice a week.
0: So was your whole teaching schedule just kindergarten so I taught yeah
1: so I taught all the kindergarten at the kindergarten center and then I taught kindergarten two kindergarten sections at another campus and then I also had did I have fifth grade it was like a really mixed bag because it was like all kindergarten and then fifth grade <laughs> and then like a section of fifth grade and a section of third grade that's what it was so it was really what? really yeah kind of crazy so my whole world was kindergarten for a couple of years um until the new schools opened And um, I just fell in love with it even more than I ever had before. And I think part of the reason, honestly, was because I was so immersed in the community because I was there so much because I taught Mm. everybody in that building. I had all those kids. They all knew me. I was kind of a fixture in the community because I was everybody's music teacher. But Mm. it was just a very happy, happy place and um, great staff great kids. It's a very sweet time. But aside from all of that, one of the things that I just love about kindergarten is that these kids are so eager. And I feel like a lot of, generally speaking, a lot of some of the classroom management type things that get challenging as kids get older with attitudes Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. else Mm -hmm. aren't really present in kindergarten in the same way. Um, And so it just has always felt very magical to me
0: very magical I guess so
1: yes I love kindergarten that was
0: my that was my first question for you because I know you love this age group and and age groups like surrounding this right because a lot of your personal story tell me if I'm remembering this correctly your personal story is uh like early childhood learning center Mm -hmm. kind of spark type thing right so this this age group is like really special for you and that was one of my questions like what do you love about it. And I think that kindergarten people, because I posted something on my stories somewhat recently about like uh, an age group that you connect with and an age group that you struggle to connect with. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people were like the bookends were tricky for people. So Mm -hmm. like a lot of people said kindergarten and a lot of people said fifth. Yeah, sure. And I think, and I think that those bookends can be really tricky for people. You know, so one of my questions was about like what what exactly about this age group are you so excited about? And I think your your comments about these kids just being so eager and, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with someone who's going into elementary from being at the secondary levels, like secondary band going into elementary. And I was like, listen, you cannot be prepared for how much these kids will love you. You have no you have no way to prepare yourself for just like walking down the hall and kids seeing you and their faces like totally transforming. They're like, it's my (laughs) music teacher. You know and they're like so excited <laughs> and I'm like I know I know you love your middle school band kids and I know they really like you but no one will love you like early elementary you know
1: yeah that's 100% the truth and the thing is you know you talk about my personal story so I did I got my start teaching like parent child classes and also just like preschool like straight up three four mm-hmm. five year olds um music classes a couple times a week and at the time this is kind of an aside at the time I was also taking professional trumpet auditions so I would like be locked up in like a classroom <laughs> like in a practice room like playing Petrushka like as perfectly as I possibly could and then I could go and like release <laughs> you know and like have fun and and make music and find people who who are joyfully making music in in terms of you know these these young kids and not that playing Petrushka can't be joyful but anywho um, no, certainly so yeah so it was just uh it was just what opened me up to the wonderful world of music ed. And I think what it was is it's like, I've always loved to sing. I've always loved to play with kids. And Mm -hmm. a lot of what happens in kindergarten is that musical play based learning. Right. And not that we don't do it in the older grades, but so much of it almost exclusively um, is all about building that context that we've talked about a lot the last couple of times we chatted and getting them all, all ready and familiar with speaking the musical language so we can draw from that experience later on, either later, right. late in kindergarten or going into the, the older grades. So,
0: hmm, yeah, hmm. love it. Okay, so my second question for you is about teacher demeanor. Mm-hmm. And I know that you hate typing people, right? <laughs> like this is your label, you're this kind of person. But if you were to say that you identify you self-identify as a kindergarten person. What are, what's the teacher demeanor of kindergarten versus, let's just say, someone who like really has their groove in fourth grade? What are the things as far as teacher presence that make a good, happy kindergarten teacher?
1: You're talking about a kindergarten teacher outside of the music room?
0: N- music. Music. Music kindergarten teacher.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I think that um, I once had a levels teacher tell me that kindergarten is all acting when she was kind of doing some demo lessons for us because the idea and, you know, we've talked about transitions a lot. And I'm sure we'll get in, into this big time today. But um, this idea that once kids walk into the classroom, they're transported into like this musical room which is completely different than anything they've ever experienced not only in school but probably anywhere period right um and so coming into the classroom and a teacher who is very animated um gives a lot of eye contact has a lot of energy in the Mm. appropriate times and i don't mean energy as far as like talking really fast and getting kind of loud like I tend to do, but I just mean like, <laughs> like, and sometimes yes, but like um, having, having energy, even if it's quiet, focused energy, just the energy mm-hmm. has to be so, so high. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that's exclusive of other grade levels or exclusive to kindergarten and exclusive. Is that, what am I trying to say? That's not saying, saying that you can't do it in the older grade levels, but I think in kindergarten, it takes a special type of focus energy, whether it is outwardly high energy or just kind of like reined in. Um, but yeah, I think the, the magic in kindergarten is this idea of transporting your kids to something that feels really, really special and doesn't give them much opportunity to do anything other than make music.
0: Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. Right. So as soon as they walk in, it's like, oh, Ooh, I have a bu- 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 puppet. Oh, he wants to say hello to you. And even if you're quiet, and even if you're like, uh, even if mm, that energy is still there. So, like, if you're whispering, it's like a stage whisper. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like everything. Truly, like, so when you said acting, I was like, yes, that is such a great way to say it. So, if anyone has any like musical theater background, and the difference, the reason I'm specifically saying musical theater is when you are on stage versus being on film, the difference is when you're on stage, everything is bigger and every motion takes just a little bit longer to facilitate. Uh, And like, every expression is a little bit more, I don't know, pronounced. And if you were to do that on film, you would look ridiculous because film is just a much more up close um, and in a way like a more personal medium. And so I think about if you are in kindergarten, that is like your stage performance and everything is like, ooh, I have this fish puppet swimming up to you. hello!" Right. And uh, upper grades might be a little bit more film, mm. like movies instead of a stage. Where if you try to be over the top and dramatic, there's a way to do it if you're going for like an ironic, goofy kind of thing. Uh, But if you try to make that the legit demeanor that you're going to use to present your lessons, that is going to be tough for them to get on board with. So thinking about acting in terms of stage versus film can kind of be a helpful distinction perhaps.
1: Yeah, I think that's super helpful. I've never heard anybody explain it that way, but I love that. That's super smart. Super smart. Yeah, and you know, it makes me think of like you know, again, not that not every grade that you teach is going to be imitating what you're doing, but I think specifically in kindergarten, like that's not a grade to be sitting in a chair to teach, right? Like you're on the floor, you're with them, you're doing, you're giving them examples and ideas of everything that you could possibly be doing. And it's exaggerated because like you were talking about with like the musical theater versus film type of thing. um, This is a horrible parallel, but I'll use it anyway. If you think about like diction. When you saying you have to em- overemphasize sure. it so that it comes through. I feel like that's the same thing when you're doing something for kindergarten kids, because they're so not used to these types of experiences. So it has to feel mm-hmm. a little bit more over the top so that what they copy you is where it needs to at least start. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that that is a really, really good, a really, re- really, really good way to think about it in terms of exaggeration versus like more muted or more realistic. Mm-hmm. Type mm-hmm. Movements or mm-hmm. interactions, yeah, I like that
0: because I think that that's the tough thing. Like, if you if you are like, yeah, I'm more of a fifth grade person. I'm more of an upper elementary person. There's a specific uh, like candor, like a I tell it how it is kind of right. kind of personality that can go with those upper grades, and then with the lower grades, people who are really attracted to those lower grades, you find people who are very drawn to this idea of energy and acting, and, uh, like the drama, you know, in, in the most beautiful sense, like the drama of it all. So I think that's interesting. The other thing, um, so I want to talk to you about teacher demeanor, because I know that you are a very successful kindergarten teacher, and I wanted to know, like, your thoughts on just showing up as a kindergarten teacher. So we've talked some about teacher demeanor. I want to talk about what to expect. (laughs) What can I expect From, from my first days of kindergarten.
1: I just have this very vivid image and it was the same day that, um, I was at a new campus and is the first day of this particular kindergarten class. It was not the first day of school, but the kids walked in and they were all just like they couldn't really walk in a straight line, but they were holding hands like kind of try to help them. And then they're like caterpillars. <laughs> yeah, their teachers like leading them around and you're just waiting for like meow, meow, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, so um she brought them in and like helped lead them around the outside of a circle carpet, which at the time I had before I got sit spots. But anyway, um, And then a poor, sweet little girl just had an accident before we even sat down. And I'm just like, oh, Oh. so, I mean, those things happen, right? Because you're talking about, this is something that's interesting, depending on where you live and what your district or school system requirements are. You'll have kids who have just turned five and you'll have kids who are like almost six, right? Or maybe even six. And so that's a huge gap developmentally a huge huge gap so even without the age difference you have kids who have never been to school before you have kids who are just haven't had any of these social experiences like other kids have and um so you just have a lot of different kids coming from a lot of different experiences and now they're coming to music class And how many Mm -hmm. of them have been in an an experience like this? They're walking into probably an open room. There's lots of cool stuff that like puppets and instruments and things that they want to go to. Right. And so it's already before you've done a thing, a very stimulating environment for them. So I assume you're asking in terms of the first couple of days of school. And so. Or in general. Or in general. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the first time you see them for me, it's a very going back to acting. (laughs) It's a very Mm -hmm. scripted lesson probably more scripted than anything that I ever do ever um I think scripting is a really really great technique just in general for lesson planning to think about how you're going to sequence something out but I think when you try to stay too true to a script then you're not really taking um student feedback into account and adjusting as needed however for the first couple lessons of kindergarten to kind of keep things moving um Mm -hmm. forward and not giving too too much extra time for like the caterpillars to wander off, right? Then um, I'm trying to stick with the analogies. I love it, I
0: love it.
1: But anyway, um, it's very scripted. And those first couple of weeks are just trying to get them comfortable in a musical environment, whatever that means. And so that's a yep. lot of me singing for them. That's a lot of me inviting them to sing, hopefully some songs that are familiar, but maybe some new songs as well. Um, sharing music with them in a way that feels accessible, like singing a story that has a physical book. I can sing along with it using props yep. so that like puppets, so that they they feel comfortable hearing, um, you know, echoing with with quote unquote somebody if it's a puppet, right? Like all of these different things that make music making more accessible, for them so that they can start to play with this environment hmm. so yeah i know i think i kind of yeah. went off the rails from your original question in terms of what to expect no that's
0: perfect but that's um, perfect
1: but yeah setting the tone again there's lots of themes that keep coming back in these conversations but sure yeah
0: sure my some of my earlier memories um in in one of my more recent places i had tk And Mm -hmm. I had kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember uh, like my first lessons with TK, they would just like sit there and stare at me. And it was like they thought, again, like back to that acting thing, it was like they thought that I was a one woman show (laughs) because I would just be like up dancing around and then I'd be like, you guys need to stand up as well. But they didn't know, (laughs) but they didn't know like the social cues to like, you know, stand with me and then sit down when I sit down and, and things like that. So like in terms of what to expect, you literally need to teach, you need it. to, yep. uh-huh. You need to teach what is the cue to stand up and what is the cue to sit down. And that is something that even though it's very simple, I was talking to someone uh, recently and um, I'll ask her permission before I publish this episode, but uh, she she was just talking in her first classes of kindergarten she was like and then I said stand up and they just sat there and I was like no literally stand up and I couldn't get them to stand up (laughs) and I was like that's real like you'll do something and they'll just stare at you and then the other thing is like in the very first weeks of kindergarten I was telling my sister this when when my nephew was about to start kindergarten she was like you know like the like the new mom first time going to kindergarten everything like that and um, I was like no he's gonna be fine like your first days of kindergarten you're like as the teacher, you're standing in front of them and like you're singing and you're moving and you're dancing and all this stuff. And they're looking at you like, who even are you? We don't even know you. <laughs> or they don't even know and their names. Like you ask, but, like
1: you say their names and nobody raises their hand or like owns up to the name that you're calling. And it's just like, what is happening right now?
0: Yeah. That, that and that. And so for people who, you know, like in this person's case, like moving from secondary band to teaching their first kindergarten classes uh it's like what is happening and then she was like you know and then I said go line up and like no one lined up and then I like and, or like and then I got them in the line and they just like walked out like they just left the line and I was like yeah I don't know where to begin like you have to teach them you have to teach them literally everything, everything. yeah because and so sorry go ahead <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was just going to say like if you if you don't know what to expect in terms of what it's like to herd cats. Cause that's what it is it's herding cats and you're like oh someone someone needs my attention over here on this part of the line and then you look over and you're like my caterpillar is gone <laughs> like all the kids have scattered across the room now what should i do and like i'm telling them to line up and they are completely 100 percent ignoring me and it's not because they are like malicious it's that like they physically don't register my presence in the room like they don't know you and so uh and so when this person was sharing like their their experience i was like yeah okay yeah that's something that can happen May, there are ways to redirect okay but like where do you where do you even begin if you are used to sure. having having lots of experiences with uh you know people who i don't for for your stories like have agency over when they need to go to the bathroom and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, dear, I'm in this group of 25 kids.
1: <laughs> this escalated very quickly, right? Yeah.
0: And to be clear, this person is a very competent and experienced educator. It's just that, as you always say, Anne, kindergarten is just a different beast.
1: No, I think you know? I think that that's all super important. So like if you think about it, the kids come in and they're caterpillar holding hands and they're sitting in a circle with you and that's where you have them to start. Maybe the first thing that you teach them is an all stand up, I'll sit down mm-hmm. and you do that. And you try to check them a couple of mm-hmm. times and do all of those things. And the reason that, um, you know, that's important. So then if everything's going haywire and then you're yep. just like, freeze, I'll sit down and everyone just sits <laughs> down where they are and then you can address the issue. Right. So like having a little tool like that, in your back pocket, I think is a huge mm-hmm. deal. The other thing is the reason why I said I really script those first couple of, of lessons is because. I want to be really deliberate about the songs that I'm choosing. So, something like Green Around the Rosie would help us practice that all stand up, all sit down type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, things that can kind of help us get ready to do those procedural things that they need to know, but I don't want to just like have them practice lining up the door over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing too is that if you know exactly what you're doing and the transitions you're going to use to get there then you don't have to worry as much about things going off the rails and and you know even you're gonna have these kids if you're sitting the wheels on the bus you're gonna be mid-verse there's gonna be some kids maybe kind of singing, some kids kind of doing the hand motions and like three kids trying to tell you what they had for breakfast this morning or what they did over the weekend. And you just keep singing and get your eyes really big and keep on going, right? And so it's just like pushing through, kind of sticking to that script so they know what to expect within Mm -hmm. the context of those first couple of lessons. Because if you keep stopping and restarting, then they're going to think, oh, that's always what happens. Then if I want to say something, but if you just keep it, keep the train moving, if you will, and practice those expectations within that context of the lesson moving forward constantly, then that's half more than half the battle. I would say with those kindergarten kids, because they're used to having every question answered, every little step kind of worked through with them. um, Not in this kind of community music making situation that you want to start building early on.
0: Yes. So much to yes and from that. Um, That practice of there's some nonverbal communication Mm -hmm. that goes on. Like, I think, I think what you said um, is like, you make your eyes really big and you just keep doing right. Like we just keep doing the engine, engine number nine. So like, as you are like yelling at me and climbing onto my lap to, (laughs) to communicate with me, I'm going to stand up and
1: keep moving my arms like a train and just like nod my head and make my eyebrows raise up. So, you know, I can see you. That's exactly it. Yeah.
0: I had. I had a child like very physically climb in my lap because they were screaming, I want to put marshmallows in the pot. And I wasn't I wasn't taking their suggestion. And so like as we do, chop chop chippity chop, I just like pick them up off my lap <laughs> I and I like, set them up.
1: Why off. why do you have marshmallows in them?
0: It's yes, just Like, okay, got it. Yes, that's exactly. It. <laughs> yeah, you're like, why? Did, why were they talking about marshmallows? I don't know. They're kindergarten. Who can say? Uh, and so, as as we were doing this, and and it's like you said, like we have some kids who are doing a chopping motion. Mm-hmm. There are some kids who are like turned around and looking at something that's like on the board or something like that. And there are some kids who are just standing there, like literally, they just sit there and stare at with you with their mouth open like this. Yep. And they think it's a show, right? And then you have some kids who are, again, like coming at you with all of this verbal information and the the ability to just like smile and keep going. And then when you're done, you say, oh, Oh, look at all these hands in the air. Oh, I see you have your hand up. What would you like to put in the pot? Now is your time to scream with your heart's true desire of putting marshmallows in the pot, right? <laughs> that is the time. But this skill of smiling and making your emotions big and you just keep going and that's why it feels like it's a show because in many many ways it really is like a one woman show for those first several weeks of kindergarten until we get the groove of there's a song it has a meter that you can feel and then at the end I put my hand in the air and I like look around like oh who else has an idea wow but that's a groove that we need to get into
1: yeah absolutely and there's even just some kind of shifts that you can play around with um, with your classes too, you know, even things like raise your hand, if your idea, it, raise your hand, if you have an idea Instead, it could be, um, always changing it right so if you have something to put in the pot put your hands on your head oh your fingers on your nose if you have it you know so little tweaks like that that don't feel like a big deal but really are because there's always something new to do if you have an idea right as opposed to like the standard raise their hand oh you didn't call me you didn't call me well you weren't listening right that type of stuff but i think you're hitting even your tone
0: there no I, i just wanted to point out your tone that you used do you remember how you just said that? Something about putting your hand on your head? Say it again.
1: If you have an idea or if, I see, I can never repeat it. <laughs> if you have an idea for what we should put in our pot, put your hand on your head. Um, your your fingers on but, your nose, if you have an idea for what's going to go in our pot.
0: I don't remember. You said, you said, put your hand on your head. And like, <laughs> you just made it sound like really, really exciting. And yeah. it's like, I would love to put my hand on my head. And then you right? call like, them and they're like, I don't have anything to put in the pot. <laughs> That's the danger. Right. But I wanted—I just wanted to connect that because like your tone right. is a tone that is very specific to to this purpose of getting people on board with what you're doing, right? It's like that acting, that stage yes. whisper, like it was very engaging, but you're not yelling. Mm-hmm. It's again, that stage whisper like, oh, like there's this sense of wonder. <gasps> Someone has their hand on their nose. Wow. Like everything is so exciting in this world, you know, and that really, really engages those students keep going I, d- I didn't mean to interrupt but i no, did want to point out your tone i interrupt all day
1: long so here's the deal to remind me what you said i forget which of our last two conversations it was about the spaces that you're preparing when kids come in the room I th- it was the opening routine one which ones we use we're, there were three do you know what i'm talking about
0: Can yeah yeah, yeah. so yep yep we're gonna re- um work on inviting students and setting the tone for the physical space because musical learning happens in the body in that physical space but also this is a space without any chairs and lots of instruments so the physical space and the uh, emotional space so like i am um, here I have something to share. I have a voice to contribute. And then the social space, which is the teacher is smiling at me. I am smiling at my friends. We're making music together. So that's the the first three. And then the musical space as yeah. well.
1: So kindergarten for me is all about those things. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, there's mm-hmm. things like comparatives or steady beat, there's vocal exploration, but at least from like the beginning of the year to like January is all yep. about, preparing those spaces. Because, you know, all the Mm -hmm. things that we've talked about so far is thinking about In whatever one of those spaces we're we're directing our attention to, we're talking about a self space versus a shared space. Whether you're talking about Mm. making music by myself, making music with others. Whether you're talking about physical space by myself, physical space with others, emotional myself, whatever it might be. And so all of these skills that these kindergartners, again, who are coming into your music room never having ever been an experience like this, um, we have to prepare them and give them that context, give them that experience to draw on later when we actually want to teach them the things right and so for all of those challenging behaviors because they just don't have like the self-regulation yet (laughs) to to do do the things when they come to your classroom it's really thinking about okay how much time do I want to spend trying to get Bobby to look at me instead of out the window or how much time do I want to spend redirecting um you know, this child who keeps interrupting because they want me to call on them or how much of it can I keep on going and, and show non-verbally that now is not the time or with proximity or whatever it might be, and Mm -hmm. then reaffirm positively the behaviors that I want later on. And so I think, I think the point, the big take home with all of that is to say, what is the goal? Well, the goal is to, Mm. to prepare those spaces and to give these kids an immersive musical experience. And those kids who are just staring at you, at least in the first couple of weeks, I think, um, the first couple of lessons that is, um, I think if there's kids who are just kind of observing and taking it all in, that's, more than okay. And if there's kids yeah. who want to sing every single word with you even though they don't know it and it's like a huge game of guessing the lyrics like okay, just keep right on going. You have your scripted lessons, you're rocking and rolling, right? And and right. all of those things. I I think that we're really just kind of being like this is what a music lesson is because we know yes. that after one lesson, they're not going to know that. After two lessons, mm-hmm. they're not going to know that. After three, they're probably going to start to get how your procedures and how your lesson flow and all those things rock and roll and what's Of them when they come to the classroom. What are Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on all?
0: Oh yes, one hundred percent. Everything. Everything you said. Yes. And I think that's why teaching kindergarten is kind of such a tough thing to prepare people for, Mm -hmm. especially if the only preparation you have is like your elementary methods. Mm -hmm. If that's all you have, walking into kindergarten. Oh my goodness gracious it's really tough. And so, and so I think, you know, if if someone is listening and they feel like they are drowning in kindergarten and like not having a fun time, some key takeaways that I want to just highlight from what you said are children are learning how to interact with music in mm-hmm. this lesson. And sometimes that means that they are like chanting with you. They're like looking at you and they're like so excited. And they're just like, <laughs> and, like they just want to be involved. They would just want to be involved in the music. Right. And they're like looking at you and like, they're so excited and they're like not really doing the motions, but their bodies are like bobbing a little bit. And right? the only word they get like, right is the last one of the phrase. Cause it rhymes. <laughs> Out. Right. <laughs> Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe like they only get that last word in the third lesson, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because it's the third time in a row that you've done that song, you know? So stuff like that, I think is so important. And, and the other thing that I want to kind of highlight is when we talked about those opening routines, one of the very first things that we talked about is that we have a sign for sit for you. You have your all stand up. I have signs like physical, like, uh, visual signs. Mm visual as in like sign language Yeah, for sit down and stand up. And then we have a quiet signal, right? And having that stuff in place, like if nothing else happens that first day, but we know when it's time to sit and we know when it's time to stand and I know how to be quiet that, that will go so far with success in, in the next Lessons, And then the other thing I wanted to just highlight from that opening routine conversation. And we talked about predictability and how important it is for kindergarten students to have this like safety net of knowing what comes next, you know, and um, being able to anticipate the next thing. I, I love having For that age group, number one, like a very consistent opening routine, but then also having lots of continuity between lessons. So it's not, and this is something that I think people might Mm, like fall into, oh, I don't know, like wanting to do a different song every single class or like a different set of songs, having like a totally new lesson because you get tired of these little songs and then you want to do something new, right? But one of the one of the best things that we can do for this age group is sing the same song in, in class after class after class and then we'll take a break and then we come back to that song. And even though that's really, really hard for us as adults, it's really, really fun for those kids to have so much consistency from class to class, especially at the very beginning of the year. What's your thought on that?
1: Oh yeah. I'm just thinking about how my youngest right now I'll turn on music. And if it's not Elmo slide, she doesn't want to listen to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just like, it's the same thing, right? Like they have their favorites and what they, what is their favorite is the thing that they know and they've heard and experienced the most. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that year that I taught a million sections of kindergarten, I mean, I had to take a good long break from like a, a couple songs, right? Like, like it'll be a while before I do any "Let Us Chase the Squirrel." Like, there's just some things that like I'm just not going to do for a while. But they love it and they beg for it, right? And we see this, yep. and we see this in, in in all of our all of our stuff. But I think the the predictability is really really important. And I think understanding, I think one of the tricky things about kindergarten is the fact that. The participation, at least in the early weeks, can be somewhat variable, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that is because you have kids, I hate to say this, um, but I wonder how, I mean, singing is inherent, kids just sing, but kids have not really probably too often been an environment where there's an adult singing for them. I would like to think that I am like to think that I'm wrong there, but I, I think that there's a lot of kids who don't know some of the songs that we grew up with with this, which is fine, right? Like times change, trends change, all the things change. Like it's fine. But I think there's something really, really magical um, about finding meaningful opportunities to sing for your kids, because there's a big difference Mm. between singing for them and singing with them. Okay. And this is like a whole other podcast. Um, But Something that I really like to do with all my early elementary kids is to end my class with a song tale, a book that I can mm. sing to them um, so that they just have an opportunity to listen to me sing. And a lot of times they just learn those songs by rote right after they've heard them a couple of times. But that's just another yep. really, really nice thing that is predictable is helping them build a context and is helping develop their, their ear for when it comes time for them to process and produce the musical language. Right? So I kind of took us to a different road there, but yeah.
0: I love that because yeah, I love that for so many reasons. Well, let's, let's keep going down that road. You mentioned earlier that in kindergarten, we're gonna have some talk and some exploration around comparatives, but that might not happen and that will not happen in the first weeks. So talk to me about some of your, very strictly from a musical standpoint, what are some of your curricular goals musically
1: always 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 vocal exploration and steady beat Mm. in whatever capacity that looks like because we're helping them find their singing voice so and we're helping them find the most basic foundation of music that everything else is going to be built upon and so if they can't Mm -hmm find if they can't listen if they can't process if they can't produce if they can't find the steady beat and and sh- demonstrate that they understand mm-hmm. or hear or can perform it in in many different capacities then there's not yep. a whole lot more we're going to be able to do <laughs> past that and then vocal exploration they just haven't been asked to use their voices in a lot of different ways and matching pitch and doing things like that that's asking them to really think um think about what they're hearing and thinking of about what their voice is doing and listening to themselves saying for the first time, right? So there's a difference Mm -hmm. between kids who have been singing and who are really listening to what's coming out of their, out of their voices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I want to yes. And your stuff, I have, um, vocal exploration. I have open and closed space, which I know you talked about and I understand that's not like a sonic, um, like a sonic goal, but we can we can lump it in with musical goals. And I heard you talk about that earlier. Um, I also have I have building repertoire.
1: Yep. So song like you know song repertoire, right? So they have things that yes. draw on later. Yeah. 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 Yep.
0: And I know. And I know. Like that's something that. Uh, that you're referencing as well, even if it's not like by that specific name. But yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about beat. Let's let's kind of hone in on that because I had steady beat typed out for my notes here. And then I kind of took it, I took it back and I said beat exploration. And I know mm. this is like both of us saying the same thing. I know we're saying the same thing, just like kind of a different way. Um, and, you know, and on my plans, it all says steady beat. It doesn't say beat exploration, but just to kind of set the parameters around what we are talking about here in the very first weeks of kindergarten. When we say that we're working on steady beat, we do not mean that we are looking around the room and we see students padding a steady beat with us. That's not what we mean, right? Like if they are moving their hands with us at all that is a great way to like to begin the process of exploring steady beat right and so that's why I have beat exploration and I and I'm thinking about all of the ways that we can explore steady beat which is essentially just the concept of time Mm -hmm. it's just a time concept in in a metered sense for what we are doing here and so when you say you know I'll stand up bum 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 I'll sit down bum 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 that even though we have it under the category for you you have that under the category of like classroom management or procedures or something like that I have to understand as you know a five-year-old that there's a point where my teacher will stop and that I will start singing or for me like at the end of chop chop chippity chop at that point, when I'm looking around the room to see who else has an idea, that is a beat exploration. Anything that we're doing that has has a time bound sense, which is any sort of rhythmic um, parameters. For us, that is one of the ways that these really young children can explore beat. So even though you and I are both saying that steady beat is a top priority, we don't mean that students have the skill level to demonstrate beat competency in the first weeks.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. So when I say like vocal exploration and steady beat, all, yes, Ian, all the things that you're saying. So This idea that we're building these musical experiences in the form of different procedures, activities, songs, this building up kind of like this catalog that we're going to be able to Mm -hmm. pull from later. So if I'm saying that those are kind of like my two big targets, if you will, from Mm -hmm. the end of the year to like January, like I said, okay, that's great. Does that mean I'm not doing any comparative work? No. I'm still doing all kinds of fast and slow stuff. Cause how do you think kids start to, to recognize where the beat is? Right. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything that, that isn't exploring all of these different concepts. It doesn't mean I'm not doing walk, tiptoe, tiptoe, walk type of stuff. It just means Mm -hmm. I'm not labeling anything yep. because if it is their first time, and I keep coming back to this, sorry to beat a dead horse, but it was their first time being asked to explore music in this way. They are not going to feel ready or they're not going to be ready to talk about some of the musical literacy things that we're planning to teach them in kindergarten. Because what happens is by the time you get to January and you've done all of these different games, you've done all of these different embodied music making experiences, and they really Mm -hmm. own all of that, extracting those literacy concepts happens like that. It's just very yes. obvious, right? And it's just kind of bringing to light um, on what it is that you've been doing. You know, that's something I get asked pretty often um, from folks inside of the sequencing solution. It's like, well, do you do a whole, a whole like, you know, framework for a comparative, right? Do you do like a whole that. sequence, like a whole prepare, present, practice, or an explore, discover, extend type thing with, um, you know, faster versus slower? And it's like, well, what do you think? Like, you know, I always kind of turn it on them and they're just like, well, but they already know, like we're, we're doing the exploration phase. And they're like, oh, that's fast. That's slow. I'm like, exactly. So it's just right. like, it's just, they have all of this experience and then they're able to label it and then they're able to identify and then produce things. That's kind of the post-literacy part, right? Mm. That shows that they understand faster versus slower. So it's kind of like a condensed sequence, if you will, when it comes to stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because you and I have never had that conversation, right? And so I was like, I don't know where you're going with this. This is so interesting. Will we land in the same place? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll have Did some we? controversy. Did we? We could have some controversy <laughs> for for the ratings that we get our numbers. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, no, unfortunately, unfortunately for us. Uh, I completely agree with you. I I do want to say, yeah, (laughs) uh, I want to say, uh, you know, we can think about it as, you know, so I use prepare, present, practice as my framework and we can have another conversation about ways that your framework is unique to that, you know, three process thing. Um, But when I think about where that preparation happens it is it is in their life outside the music class and it is in those very first weeks of school whereas we have been doing repertoire building as we have been doing movement exploration and beat exploration and all of these things we are very naturally using things like loud and quiet we are very naturally using fast and slow you're naturally using sound and silence and so yes there is A full prepare present practice but the the preparation has been there kind of embedded the whole time Um, so I say that you know that you and I agree so that I can say there are people who do a set prepare loud and quiet and then I'm going to present this is loud and this is quiet and then we do practice loud and quiet and that to me I feel like you might agree with this as well. That to me is like a a potato potato Mm. kind of thing. Like if you want to have a set full uh, concept plan for loud and quiet, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, you know, no one, no one is harmed (laughs) when you say like, use a big voice instead of use a loud voice. That doesn't matter at all because the purpose is we're having these positive musical experiences and then coming up with this common vocabulary to use with conscious musical experiences later
1: yeah, a hundred percent. I think the only advantage to maybe having that set um concept plan for, for those comparative concepts, um, is to maybe make sure that you're really intentional about mm-hmm. doing some, some specific RL practice, some specific visual practice, practice, some yep. specific kinesthetic practice right before you label. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I think, I think having those added scaffolds really emphasizes it for any kids that might've trailed behind, um, who sure. still can't like walk or tap a city beat to save their life which is going to happen in all grades right and so um Mm -hmm. so i think there is some value to that but again like you said odds are if you're really thinking intentionally about what you're doing in your classroom and you're choosing activities to to have this music exploration but also those are embedded then odds Mm -hmm. are those have been pointed out either by yourself or your students so so for a first year teacher Second year teacher, yep. third grade, great teacher. I would say, or third year teacher, I would be like, yeah, make a concept plan so that you're really sure that you hone into that stuff. But if it's not your yes. first rodeo, I think that a lot of the things that you're going to be doing in those first months of school are going to lend themselves to those
0: conversations
1: mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Right. 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 So you're saying like, if you are looking at your map of the year, you are very naturally going to like, be looking ahead and say, mm-hmm. oh, I want to make sure that I'm giving lots of experiences with these comparatives because we are going to need to be on the same vocabulary. And that's why, that's why I like to, especially with vocabulary, that is much more how I think about it rather than there's a big presentation moment where I say, musicians call this loud. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, more, it's more like, what do I mean when I say loud? And what do I mean when I say high. It's that it's that kind of distinction, rather than these are your you know your first this is your first time hearing about oh I don't know toddini or or whatever it is you know th- things like that that might come later. In the school, I don't know the school sequence. program.
1: Yeah, well, because the thing is, like, if you think about higher versus lower, you're thinking about comparing two notes so that later on you can build a context for something that is much more, um, much more defined. I guess for mm-hmm. a lack of a better way to say it, right now in my brain. Um, yeah, specific. With, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. So, like, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing something with Ray with second grade and you're trying to figure out whether it's higher or lower than Doe or higher and lower than me, then that's that's way more specific thank you for your word Mm -hmm. um then just thinking about two you know within the context of five notes is much different than thinking about either or and you know we could have a debate about whether or not comparatives really mean high distinctively versus low distinctively or higher and lower than something else but no (laughs) I don't want to do that
0: (laughs) that'd be too much controversy it's just too much for the ratings no it's fine for the ratings shoot (laughs) the ratings I have, um, I think I have two more things that I want to touch on because I think we've been going for a while, but I think this is a really, I think this is an important conversation I want to talk about, uh, and then obviously you can say whatever you (laughs) want that you also want to talk about, but just on
1: my list. (laughs) (laughs) I like your list. Let's stick with your list, that's good.
0: (laughs) Just from from my list, I have two things that I wanna touch on. I want to circle back to beat exploration. Mm -hmm. And I want you to share some strategies to use when it comes to in the first weeks. Well, let's say like, uh, so the first weeks we just want students to interact in any way that they are interacting in a safe and musical way is a big thumbs up from us. Mm -hmm. But kind of moving towards a more I don't know, uniform understanding of beat and not just like bobbing around at the right time kind of thing. Uh, I want to talk about some strategies for developing steady beat or beat awareness. And then I also want to talk about the lesson structure because I think that is super, super duper important. So talk to me about some of the things that you think about um, with that kid. Gosh, you know, Anne, um, that kid who's like there in music, but their beat skill level is just not with it what's your thought about that kid
1: can i i'm going to ask you a question first so Mm -hmm. when you say beat skill level do you mean he can't Mm -hmm. he or she can't follow you while you're keeping a steady beat they can't find the beat it's just there's no beat ever or what specifically or not specifically (laughs) do you mean yeah
0: well i think that's a good place to start because I think that your expectation for students is going to be dependent on there is kind of like a a range of beat competency that you would expect to see or to see developing from a kindergarten student. So kind of within that question, there is an understanding that at first students are going to be copying you right and then at some point they will have ownership over those beat motions themselves and maybe some at some point they might do it with their eyes closed or maybe at some point it will transfer to an instrument or maybe some Mm -hmm. point uh, they will come up with their own beat exploration and it will be different from a partner right so within that that actually might be a nice place to start do you have a progression that that you tend to follow in terms of what students are expected to do as far as beat?
1: Yeah, I think this is interesting. So if we're talking about how we want them to have these embodied music making experiences, just taking like following the teacher who's keeping a steady beat to pre-recorded music is very different than asking students to play a steady beat on a hand drum without anything else. Right. So there's that. And then there's also another idea completely, which, um, I don't know if we've talked about this ever, but um, when I did my Del Crows training, one of the very first things that we did was walk across the room without any sound. And everybody Mm -hmm. was walking at all different tempos. And then um, our instructor would play on the piano, improvise on the piano what one of us was walking. And then everybody would stop and it would go to... And then the person who thought it was their beat would keep walking. And sometimes it would be a couple people. Sometimes the person who thought it was theirs, it wasn't really theirs, but they would end up walking to that beat, you know, like that type yep. of stuff. So there's things like that, um, that you could do with just like a simple hand drum or whatever kindergarten, maybe not. Right. Um, but I think the idea to take away from that is that kids, I'll have a very personal pulse, which is a very Delcrozian mm. thing to think about. And if you're thinking about kindergarten, it's going to be much, 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 much faster than what we think it's going to be. I forget what the BPM is. I could look it up, but, um, but it's not going to be this. Like that's way too slow for kindergarten, right? Right. And so I think I want to say that John Fire Robbins recordings with the keep the beat stuff is all pretty, pretty up-tempo. Um, so that would be a good mm-hmm. place to start for people who aren't quite sure where to go and they want to do some fall the leader type beat motion things. Um, but I think I think a mix is important. And I say a mix in terms of keeping beat motions with like stationary movement, just moving around, mm-hmm. touching. You know, different places on your body to keep a steady beat. Mm-hmm. I think following the leader, I think having a student leader, I think walking the beat is a completely different skill set. I think playing, you know, listen, listen, here I come, someone special gets a drum, tap, 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 tap is a very different skill set. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, is that it's important to think of all of those different ways and more for students to demonstrate their understanding of steady beat, both within the context that you are setting for them and in their own context. Because if you do listen, listen, here I come, someone special gets a drum, then some people, some kids will keep that tempo. Some kids will do their own tempo, but if it's a steady beat, does it matter, right? So there's all of these different things to think about. Um, So in terms of having the sequence, I think I always start with kids mirroring me because it's just what's, com- what's, what's creating a safe context for them again, right. Um, safety in numbers. They're following the teacher. If you have a couple yep. of strong students who can lead the beat motions, you can be assessing those students, right. Just kind of see where they're at if they're the leader. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that can be really effective. You could do it in multiple small groups. If your kids can handle that. Um, but it's about creating a safe environment, but also about follow the leader type things like that and also like independent musicianship where kids have an opportunity to have to show you their own pulse and their own interpretation of steady beat and i'm not talking like okay it's billy's turn to show us his feeling of the steady beat today i just mean like play (laughs) listen listen here i come someone's supposed to get the drum and then whatever their tempo is is their tempo the end
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah
0: yeah so a couple things a couple things that really stick out to me that I think are very very helpful for you know for for anyone whether it's your first time teaching kindergarten or you've been doing this for a long time and it's just good to review like best practices when it comes to something like steady beat a couple things uh the tempo and number one, we are making a distinction or uh, I like to make a distinction between tempo and beat. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were talking about. Like the student has, they are showing a steady beat. It's just not the beat that the rest of the class is using. And so that is a difference in tempo, not a difference in the consistent underlying pulse. And so that's something good for us to know, especially from a, an assessment standpoint. Um, what actually are you looking for? What, what do you actually really care about when it mm-hmm. comes to beat? Keeping. Is it enough if they have a beat, but it's not your beat? Ooh, interesting. You know, stuff that's just good to know. Um, the other thing is I think sometimes we might think that we need things to be slower so that students really can can get a handle on what we're talking about. And so you might be like, no, it goes like this. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. But as you do that, you're going to have 27, right? It's not going to be one hit. And so even though it seems in that sense, it seems kind of counterintuitive, something that's more brisk happens uh, is, is just a much more easy thing to do. And that has to do with child development. Like what is the distance between, I, th- I talk about this uh, when it's time to transfer f- from beat like on our body to beat on a hand drum. What's the difference between like all of this area in space where Mm -hmm. my hand is moving up and then down. Oh my goodness. And the the other difference in terms of uh, instruments is when I'm keeping a beat on my body, on my shoulders and on my knees or on my head or on my nose, like all of this musical learning happening in the body first before it transfers to an instrument. When I have that on my body, I have both the awareness that my hand is moving through space and I have that point of contact when my hand hits my shoulder. And so then when it's time to transfer that to a drum, or even if you are going to go crazy and use rhythm sticks, uh, (laughs) and I say rhythm sticks as crazy because then I have, I'm totally distanced from both points of contact when it's time to move the beat from my body to a drum, I still have the awareness of my hand moving through space, but it's a little bit trickier to have that secondary information of when my hand has landed. And, and hopefully that's not too like, I don't know, detailed to, to listen to and have any sort of fun at all. Sorry. Uh, But that's something that I think about like from the student experience. And as someone who had to learn, um, because my background is my undergrad uh, primary instrument was percussion and so I had to think really really hard about how do I know when the drumstick hits the drum head and slower tempos really and truly are much more difficult than faster tempos and then I think the only other thing I wanted to well I'll stop there do you have anything else no, yeah, I think I mean, that's
1: important because another Delgrozian concept is this idea of showing the space between claps. So you talk about claps, yes. right? And you're showing like a bigger circle for a slower tempo and a, a smaller circle for a faster tempo because people can't see what I'm doing. But you know, that's a that's a big a big proponent of that because you're showing space that embodied again, that embodied sustain of space. Mm-hmm. i don't know how else to mm-hmm. explain that no i was just um i was consulting dr google so the average um like five-year-old heartbeat and this could totally be wrong but i feel like it's right is like 120 beats per minute isn't that stars and stripes forever so um is that about 120 someone's gonna someone's gonna check me and it's gonna be wrong but that's pretty quick even if i'm wrong right bum, bum, bum. isn't that how you get 120 did you learn that yes. too. okay just being yes. sure anyway so yeah so that's pretty quick right i don't think many of us maybe me because I talk really fast but I don't think many of us would start there with steady beat right so that's just something to keep keep in mind but that's all I had go
0: I love that I love that one um oh I think I have two more things to add just in terms of uh beat development well I'll take it I'll make three um Mm -hmm. I want to just emphasize what you said about variety and having many, many, many different ways that we are asking students to explore beat and not just pat your knees, not just pat your shoulders, not just pat your head. But there are lots and lots of different ways that we explore that. So variety is super important. Um, I also heard you talk about how stepping the beat or showing the beat with the lower half of your body is a very different skill than Uh, using your hands to show the beat so tapping is very different than stepping especially stepping in open space Mm -hmm. so that's something as well you know I think if we are looking around the room and we're like oh no they can't keep the beat at all it might be in terms of physical development how we are asking students to keep that steady beat and you know musically as well, what are you going to say?
1: Yeah, think about how you know if you were pinching your your index finger and your thumb together to show steady beat, how you could do that. That's probably not a good example. Versus like doing jumping jacks, right? I mean, oh, that's pretty yeah. extreme. But even I mean, especially right now, even as an adult, like it's it's a totally different skill set, right? And so I think that's a really important thing to remember because not that everyone's going to now that it's going to be more difficult for every student to do like the gross locomotor thing yep. some kids might do better it's just getting kids different ways so that they can be successful in
0: the way that they can best be musical right yes so Yes, I love that. And then I think my very last thing is, you know, when we talk about building the context, that beat competency, that beat skill is going to happen within the context of whatever musical work that students are experiencing. And so having a distinction between like a listening exercise and a song that we expect students to sing and a song that they are like hearing for the first three times versus the 110th time like their, their familiarity with the song and how much they can engage with it without tapping a steady beat, perhaps. Um, basically, can the student actually sing the song that you are asking them to to perform? And what does that do to their beat performance? Do you know what I mean?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%, yeah. Because, yeah, I don't, I mean, they're undoubtedly going to be more successful with any element that you ask them to extract once they have ownership over a piece of repertoire, Mm
0: -hmm. no matter
1: what skill Mm -hmm. it is that you're asking them to do.
0: Right. And so if we want to go back to the stars and stripes, if you wanted to use that as a listening example, we would just need to have the expectation on the front end that trying to extract a steady beat from a listening example is going to be trickier than extracting it from Let Us Chase the Squirrel right. that, we've been, that we've been using, that we have, in your words, been embodying.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Okay. Agree.
0: OK. Uh, I want to talk about lesson structure. Are you OK on time?
1: Yes. I'm great okay. on
0: time. OK. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's talk about all of the ways that we can dice and slice a kindergarten lesson. There are some very strong opinions and I love strong opinions. Like I am here. If you have like a conviction in your heart, this is for everyone listening. And also for you, Anne, because I don't know, again, I don't know this answer. If you have like a strong conviction in your heart and like this is the way and I will walk in it kind of thing for a kindergarten structure, I want to hear that. So we have a couple ways we can slice and dice off the top of my head. I have this kind of fire robin approach where you have your vocal exploration, you have your fragment singing, you have your beat kind of exploration and and all of that, right? And there's a very specific, there's a very intentional breakdown of a lesson there. And then I think about some Kodai. Schools of thought. That's like your opening routine and a known song, and then review the song, and then your, uh, you know, your lesson focus and your change of pace and your second lesson focus, and then your closing. And then there are people who are, you know, we need to do the and and lots of people still in the in the Kodai train, who are we have our opening routine, but then you just do uh, movement. Stillness, movement, stillness, movement, stillness for as long as you need that lesson to take up, right? So what is your thought? And obviously I don't wanna just say like there are three, there are many types of of lesson structures, but what is your thought about breaking down a kindergarten lesson?
1: Yeah, ma'am. I had something and it just flew out my brain. Hopefully it comes back. Um, but what I will say, oh, that's what I just came back. Cool. <laughs> so what I was gonna say, so like I said earlier, in today's conversation i love the idea of scripting because i like i like this idea of anchors like the the way that i spin learning targets that i have to post to make my admin happy is that it anchors my lesson and i need to have them anyway Mm. so it's a good thing um scripts scripting your lessons anchors your lessons because it makes you Mm. think out the process and then you get used to thinking out that process and then you can adapt as needed based off of student feedback right um Having a lesson flow, whether we're talking about kindergarten, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, 12th grade, whatever it might be, is important because it helps you anchor your lessons. It helps you think about what your goals are, helps you think about what you want your music room to look like. Like if somebody was taking, you know, filming your classroom for a documentary, heaven help us all, like that would be, like it it would help, you You can visualize exactly what would be playing in that movie. Right. Mm. However, I think that it can hurt us if we think we have to stick to that. And so for Mm. me, again, like I said, the first couple of weeks of school are all about coming in and it's like scripted and they come in and I'm just singing a bunch of stuff and we're just doing a bunch of playing. We probably haven't even gone through an opening routine yet as the year goes on, like what my standard kindergarten class looks like. It's probably Mm. most closely aligned. Once I get to the labeling section of my year, it's probably so like post January, January and on, um, it's probably closely aligned to a typical Kodai inspired lesson sequence, right? Where I have my opening routine that they know. We move into song repertoire where we're not just sitting and singing, but playing some games, doing some sort of activity um, with some song repertoire that we're using either in that particular lesson or in a later lesson for some literacy or fluency components. We're gonna be playing even more games. We might have a lesson at the board um, and then we'll probably play another game and then always, always end my lesson generally speaking, with either another game or most often a song tale, like what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say that the beginning of the year is much more fluid, where it's like that Mm. movement stillness, movement stillness. But I tend to still have that bookend. So the opening routine, the closing routine, which again, for me is usually singing a story. um, And then and then finding a way to close close my lesson that way, so that at least those pieces are predictable. And then yeah. even if the inner parts of my lesson aren't the meaty parts aren't as predictable to my kids, everything that we're doing is still related to the the expectations expectations. There's a word and procedures that I have I have set forth in my classroom, so they still know what to expect, even if the mm-hmm. order of the things isn't always predictable. Does that make sense? Yes. So oh, it's yeah. much more, it's much more fluid, um, in, in kindergarten, just because again, pre labeling stage, just because it's so much about making music together and focusing yep. in on those spaces. What about for you? Right.
0: For a long time, I did movement, stillness, movement, stillness, um, and on and on amen, kind of thing. And I would make sure that I had way more material than I thought I needed because mm-hmm. I found that I was running out of material, especially in my very first, you know, times teaching teaching kindergarten. And then I moved from that. Oh, I loved that uh, framework. And I think that for so many people, that will work perfect. That's the absolute correct way because your framing of that is going to be intentional and you will have already this thing that I switched to which is the little uh more formal let me back up the problem that I was running into with this uh just movement stillness movement stillness is that I wasn't necessarily building in any checks to make sure that we were ready for the next lesson and so when I look at my scope and sequence, even though I know that this concept is coming up, if the only kind of mental checks that I have in my brain are movement and stillness, well, I can do a lesson like that all day long. But uh what if I actually need to review this song because we're going to use it in two lessons coming up, you know? And so then moving to a lesson structure that was a little bit more, again, structured of, um, you know, reviewing a song and introducing a new song and then, you know, kind of moving on from there. I don't have a, a very big difference in my mind between the kind of more open movement, stillness, movement, stillness and the more formal you know, review a song, introduce a song, uh, main concept, change of pace. Like all of that is still there. It's just for me having something that said, hey, do you have anything that you need to review right here? And I'd be like, oh yeah, I definitely do. You know, so a few years into my teaching, I kind of switched over to that. But now I think that I could go back to this kind of, woohoo, free form, movement, stillness, just alternate, right? I could probably do that because it's in my wheelhouse now that, you know, everything is kind of looking forward and making sure we're coming back and pulling back any previous information that we need, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think what's important to think about, at least for me, what proved to be useful is like, okay, I'm going to have these four or five songs or activities in my lesson. And what is it that I'm trying to point out? Like what, what am I extracting Mm -hmm. from it? And so even if you're going off of movement stillness and you have those four or five activities, well, the movement, is the game or the activity and then the soulness yep. is extracting the thing right so yes. like you can you still have like this quote-unquote free form but there's still like structure within the free form right so yeah
0: and that's why I said like th- I don't have a really big difference in my brain between those two kind of templates because it's there's not I don't I don't view it as a very big difference other than how you choose what you choose to type next to the box You know, that thing that you're checking off. But yeah, I think that uh, a good teacher, regardless of the template that you're using, is going to have a combination of movement and stillness. Let me ask you this. I think this is my very last thing that I want to talk about. Uh, How long are you going to stay on a specific song? And let's say, how long are you going to stay on a specific task in a song?
1: Interesting. Within the context of a lesson? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so they're five and six, so no longer than five or six minutes max. Full stop. And
0: (laughs) and full stop, right. Yeah, yeah, I have a full stop there as well, except I actually have a comma and maybe a little bit shorter at the beginning of the year. What's your thought on that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. No longer than
0: five or six minutes. But you know, Anne, even if you had a song that you were going to do for six minutes, I can't imagine that you would be doing the same activity in those six minutes.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So maybe you'd be doing, maybe you'd be teaching it by rote. Maybe it'd be a my turn, your turn. Maybe you'd be singing it for mm-hmm. them and asking them to listen for certain parts of the song to teach it to them by mm-hmm. rote. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe you'd be asking them to keep a steady beat while you sing it. And then mm-hmm. they sing it and keep a steady beat. And then you have them um, just listen and keep a steady beat. And they stand up and walk a steady beat. And then they get to play the game. Right. So how many different things right. did you do, right? Within the context of like those five minutes. So absolutely, absolutely. It's not just sitting and singing over and over and over again, beating your head into the wall. It's all those different ways that you can understand Unfold, pardon me, unfold Mm -hmm. and again extract what it is that you're you're wanting to use that particular resource for. Right. Right.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Anything else that you want to share in your infinite kindergarten wisdom? Infinite kindergarten wisdom. (laughs) No, this is a
1: long one. This is a long one. Yeah. That's good though. No. There's a lot to say about kindergarten. There's probably way more to say about it, but we should probably call it at some point. I think so so too. Cool.